In your Bibles this morning, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. All my life I've heard the preacher say uh, that Paul wrote, and maybe you heard someone say Paul wrote to his son of the faith, Timothy. And a lot of times I heard that as a kid, I'm like, it's just kind of in one ear and out the other. But it is important when you turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3 that you understand, first of all, it is the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul that's writing here. It's also important that you know that he is writing something to Timothy. Timothy really is the guy, the young man that's following in his footsteps. And it's also important that you note when you read 2 Timothy chapter 3 that this is Paul writing some of his very, very last words. Uh, he will. It won't be long and he knows it that he'll be in glory with God and he's going to lose his life. And he's writing to Timothy and he's preparing and helping and trying to invest in Timothy and help him to be able to make it through the next stage. Help him be able to overcome the troubles and the burdens that are ahead. He's going to try to help Timothy with life. And when we open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to know that God wants to use his word to help you with life. How many of you think on a day-to-day basis, I need God to help me with life? If that's you, just say amen. And uh, I need God to help me with life. And uh, life is tough. Uh, Life is tough, but life is sweet. And life is difficult, but life is good. And for God's people, we have the opportunity to make it through the difficulties of life that everyone has, but we make it through the difficulties of life with joy. We make it through the difficulties with peace and promise and hope. And God can actually give us great joy in the midst of trouble. But we're going to find that when we find it in God's Word. And as Timothy is being taught and Paul is writing here to him, teach you a few things, he, he makes no bones about it. The moment in which we live, in which he's living, and you're going to live, is tough. But there's a hope. And let me read this chapter of Scripture to you. It's 17 verses, but I feel led the Lord to read, and I love to read God's Word publicly. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, 
which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. When we come to this passage of Scripture, the first 14 verses paints a really bleak picture of the state of affairs. It starts with, This also, this know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now the Apostle Paul is just making something uh, plain. He says, now listen, Timothy, it's going to be tough. There's going to be peril. How many of you have ever noticed that there's peril going on in our time? You watch the news for any moment and you understand there is peril and there's lots of peril. Uh, peril. Now look, we're not supposed to be the kind of people who live our whole lives always upset about the peril. Now, I'm going to get to the hope. But it's a fact that we live in perilous times. And he says, here's some other things to note. Verse number two, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now this is kind of fascinating because the peril of the time and the trouble of the moment, it roots from this one thing. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now I'll just tell you something. Selfishness is contrary, counter, opposite of the Christian life. The world tells us to look out for ourselves. The world tells us, teaches us to be selfish. The world says if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. But God and his word and Jesus as our example teaches us that God's people are not to be selfish people. We are actually to be generous, giving people. I'm going to say something that may shock you. You should care more about others than you do yourself. Now, that's not easily done. But you should care more for others than you care for yourself. The Bible says it like this. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because he cared more about other people than he cared about himself. And he had something he'd accomplish for everyone. Now, we are to be selfish, not, I mean, selfless, not selfish. Now, God's called us to that. But the Bible says, look, perilous times is the byproduct of selfish people. You know why there's peril at home? Because you've got selfish people in homes. Selfish husbands, selfish wives, selfish children. Selfishness produces peril. And the Bible says in the last days, perilous time, because men shall be lovers of their own selves. It continues, verse 2, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. All those words really can go without explanation. He says it's tough because people are so bad and it begins with selfish. Verse 3, without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. 
That little phrase, despise for those that are good. Isn't it amazing how many people hate people that do good? <laughs> it blow your mind. But the Bible says that we have peril and perilous times. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, he just keeps encouraging Timothy. He ends this little section with verse number 12. He says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says, Timothy, let me tell you something sweet. If you live for Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. Thanks a lot. This is encouraging, isn't it? And he says it like this in verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, we got a problem. The problem is the times are perilous. The problem is people are selfish. The problem is we got trouble. The problem is our hearts are broke. The problem is we got just a tough spot we're living in. Maybe the peril has made it into your home. Maybe the peril has made it into your heart. Perilous times. It's a tough situation we live in. Have you ever thought about the future and looked down the road just a little ways and your heart's filled with terror and worry? For most people, the answer is absolutely yes. And Paul said, now look, Timothy, it's going to get tough. It's going to be tough. It is tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to stay tough. And guess what? It's going to get tougher. He says, but. That's a beautiful word in the scriptures. Because when God shows us the problem, he prepares us for the answer. He says, but, Timothy, I want to tell you something. He says, but. Continue thou, the scripture says right there in verse number 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned. And what had he learned? What had he been assured of? The Bible tells what it was in verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. You see that phrase? The holy scriptures. That's the title of this morning's message. The Holy Scriptures. And so Paul paints this picture, and the picture is for us today too. The times are perilous. There's trouble everywhere you look. There's uncertainties. There's things that cause us worry and fear, and we're looking at them, and we're seeing, how, thinking, how in the world are we going to make it through this and that? And Wow, this is tough. And Paul says, now listen, Timothy. It's going to be perilous, but... What you need to do is you need to continue in the Holy Scriptures. Your hope is the Holy Scriptures. Your focus needs to be the Holy Scriptures. You need to pay close attention to the Word of God because, folks, I'm going to tell you something. The Word of God is what we need in order to navigate the days that are ahead. The Word of God is what we need in order to face life. And living the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. There's some things that the Bible says that the Holy Scriptures do that I want to share with you. The message titles, the Holy Scriptures. Point number one is this. Number one, the Holy Scriptures, number one, make us. Make us. They do so. They make us. What do they make us? Verse 15. The Bible says in verse 15 that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. The Holy Scriptures make us wise unto salvation. It's a fascinating thing, a wonderful thing that God's Word does. Now, God's Word has a purpose. The Bible has a purpose, and the primary, ultimate purpose of God's Word is to make us wise unto salvation. 
Now, when you study the Bible, you're going to find out something. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is always pointing to the fact that we're going to have a Redeemer. And the Old Testament is pointing to the fact there's coming a Redeemer, there's coming a Redeemer, there's coming someone to save people from their sin. And when we get to the New Testament, we meet that person in the book of Matthew. It's Jesus born in Bethlehem's manger, and he has come to be the Redeemer, to pay the price for our sins. He dies on the cross for our sins. And then in the epistles, when we come to the end of the book, end of the Bible, we understand that the Lord is setting up his church and showing us how the church should function and what the emphasis should be so that other people in the whole world and all of the people can hear the gospel and be saved. Now, the Bible has a purpose. The whole book points to the fact that you and I need to be saved from our sins. I love the Ten Commandments. I'll never forget the very first time I found in my Bible, my own Bible. I carried my Bible to church camp. I've probably, I know I've told you this, but I carried my Bible to church camp, and I was so excited for the first time I sat down, and Pastor Chuck was preaching our, uh, our Bible camp, and I sat down, and he said, open your Bibles to Exodus, and I did what, I, what you had to do, what I had to do back then. I went to the uh, index here in my Bible, and I looked, and I started hunting for Exodus, and I went, all right, look here, page number, and I, I turned to the page number, and then I found Exodus, and I turned over to Exodus chapter number 20, and I went to Exodus chapter number 20, and uh, let me tell you something, if you're there, don't be ashamed. Just do whatever it takes, that's fine. But get your Bible and find it. Because I'll never forget, I opened my Bible and I finally found Exodus chapter 20. And when I got there, he started reading Exodus chapter 20. I started reading with him. And I saw it in my Bible for the first time. My Bible, the actual Ten Commandments in my Bible. I got so excited about it. I had a highlighter because we was encouraged to carry a Bible, a pen, a notepad, and a highlighter to camp, to Bible camp. And so I did. And I took my highlighter. I was so excited to find Exodus 20. You know, you take a highlight and you highlight a specific words. Uh-uh, not me. I went, mm, I colored the whole chapter. <laughs> this is awesome. There's the Ten Commandments in my Bible. Why do we have the Ten Commandments in our Bible? We do not have the Ten... This may just blow your mind. We do not have the Ten Commandments in our Bibles primarily so that we will obey them. You should try to obey the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you something. Everyone that has ever tried to keep the Ten Commandments has failed except one. Who's the only person that's ever lived that obeyed the Ten Commandments? It's Jesus. Look at them in your Bible with me. Exodus chapter number 20. And let's just go through a few of them. The Bible says in verse number 3 of Exodus 20, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How many of idolaters do we have in the room? Would you raise your hand? And actually the Bible says again in verse number 4, the second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. The first two commandments have to do with worshiping other God. How many of idolaters do we have? Idolaters, please raise your hand. I didn't think you'd raise your hand, but the bottom line is, let me tell you something. Some of us, all of us often have gods before us. Before God. We let other things, let me just talk to you about this. The Bible says thou shalt have no other God before me. You say, that's crazy. I've never worshipped anybody but God and Jesus. Let me ask you a question. A God in your life, and you see what it says. It's a little G God right there, isn't it? Thou shalt have no other gods, little G gods before me. Let me tell you something. 
If there is anything in your life that you let it keep you from obeying big G God, that, my friend, is a God. Anything that you put in your life ahead of big G God and big C Christ and big J Jesus, anything you put ahead of God and Christ Jesus is another God. Let me tell you something. You, my friend, are an idolater. And I am too. Because how many times have I let something or someone or some interest get before and get between me and what God wants for my life? So when we turn to the Ten Commandments, why do we have the Ten Commandments? So we can primarily obey them? We should try. But really the Ten Commandments that's doing something. You know what the Ten Commandments are doing? The Ten Commandments are showing you something. The Ten Commandments are showing you that you are a sinner. Look what it says in verse number 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Hmm. How many of you have had the name of Jesus on your lips and not the person of Jesus in your heart? How many of you have used the Lord's name in vain? How many of you have promised to do something in God's name and not kept it? Let me tell you something. We're sinners. The Ten Commandments show us that we're sinners. The Bible says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's an interesting thing. The Sabbath is literally on Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath. Uh, There's some folks who would fight you over that, but Saturday is the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. And according to the Old Testament law, there's lots of things that you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Uh, on Saturday, according to the Old Testament law, that you shouldn't start a fire. But if you drove your car, you broke the Sabbath. And uh, fortunately, we're no longer under the law. And so I'm not a side. I don't have to keep the Sabbath. If I had to keep, I'd have violated it yesterday. I've got goats. I wouldn't recommend it. And my goats decided to get out on the neighbor and have babies. And I want you to know something. There's only a certain amount of steps that you're allowed to walk in a day. And I'll tell you, chasing goats yesterday, I walked more than the Sabbath is allowed. And I broke the Sabbath chasing goats, and I wasn't happy about it either. I may have had some impure thoughts. I'm not sure. But uh, (laughs) the Sabbath, verse 12, honor thy father and thy mother. Have you been snippy with mom or dad? Have you disobeyed? Have you failed to honor your mother and your father? Hey, look, it's in the law right there. And if you don't honor your father and mother, let me tell you something. You've sinned against God. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Everybody, when you get to thou shalt kill, they're like, whew, finally one I've not done. How many murderers we have in the room? (laughs) But you know what Jesus says about that commandment? He says, now look. In latter, perhaps you've not killed. But the Bible says that if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, then you're guilty of murder. (laughs) Guilty. Why do we have the Old Testament? Why do we have God's Word? Because it makes us wise. It makes it clear. Hey, look, I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. Thou shalt not commit adultery, number 7 in verse 14. I've been faithful to my wife. I've been faithful to my husband. The Bible says if you've looked on a maid in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Sinner, thou shalt not steal. How many of you have stolen anything? I'm talking anything, little. I still think of a pencil that I stole when I was a child. 
You remember those little blue, those big, they're a little bit fatter than normal, the blue pencils you could get out of the machine for a quarter or whatever in elementary school? How many of you remember that? I remember that. I stole one. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Thou shalt not bear false witness. How many of you have told a lie? How many of you have cheated on your taxes? How many of you have done this or that? How many of you have been dishonest? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Look, if keeping the law is what makes me good, if keeping the Ten Commandments is what makes me good, let me tell you something, the more I read these things, the more I'm concerned. Because I'm not good. I'm not good. I'm a sinner. And the Bible, God's Word, the Holy Scriptures, make us wise unto salvation. What does it teach us? So far, preacher, all you've told me is I'm a sinner. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something else too. Your sin condemns you to hell. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But, there's that word again, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does the Holy Scriptures do? The Holy Scriptures makes it clear with the Ten Commandments that I am a sinner, but the New Testament makes it clear that because Jesus was the sinless Son of God who paid the price for my sins and conquered death, hell, and the grave, I can have everlasting life. The Holy Scriptures is absolutely necessary, and in light of how wicked the world is and more specifically how wicked I am, the Holy Scriptures make us wise unto salvation. I hate to leave out the last of the Ten Commandments. Verse number 17, thou shalt not covet. Oh, man, I blew that one too. You know what's wonderful? As much as I mess up, God's grace is sufficient. And faith in Christ Jesus is what I need in order to have forgiveness of sin. Oh, it's sweet. The Holy Scriptures, what do they do? The Holy Scriptures make us wise in salvation. In light of perilous times where people are so selfish, what do we need? We need the Bible to make us wise in salvation. If you're here today and you've never been saved or you're uncertain if you're saved, I want you to know something. Jesus loves you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Your sin condemns you to hell and punishment, but Jesus has made it possible that you can have everlasting life. How, preacher? How? The Bible says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness. Are you here today and you feel guilty because of your sin? You know that you're a sinner. The heart, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? If you do... With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made. What do you need to do? You need to tell somebody. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you and be your Savior. You need to get saved. You need to call on the Lord. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Be my Savior. You need to determine to live for him. Trusting in Christ. You see, the Holy Scriptures make us wise unto salvation. But wait, there's more. Number two. The Holy Scriptures profit us. They're profitable. Now let me tell you something. The Bible, God's Word, and the emphasis of God's Word in your life is very, very profitable. It's very profitable. Look what the Bible says in verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that's wonderful. How much of the Bible is inspired? All of it. 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspired. God breathed it. That word inspired literally means breathed by God. We have the Bible. We have God's Word. And it's inspired by God. And the Bible says, as it continues, and is profitable. Do you see that in verse 16? The Holy Scriptures is profitable for what? For doctrine. Let's look at these together. What is the Scriptures profitable for? The Scriptures are profitable for doctrine. I love the word doctrine. If you ever hear somebody say, at our church, we don't preach doctrine. Let me just tell you something. That is a silly kind of uneducated thing to say. The word doctrine is very simple. It's very simple. The word doctrine is literally what I believe. Doctrine. Now, now, what I believe. Now, when we talk about doctrine, the Bible is profitable to show me and teach me what I should believe. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you something, you believed it, but later you found out that it was not true? It may be something small or it may be something big. How many of you have ever done that? You had somebody tell you something, you believed it, but later you turned it out, it wasn't true. Let me tell you something. You got your doctrine from a bad place. You got your understanding from some unreliable source. So the Bible says, now look, it speaks of itself. The Holy Scriptures, it's perilous times, but the Holy Scriptures are profitable for doctrine. How many of you wondering, man, I don't know what to believe about this? Let me encourage you. If you'll go to the Holy Scriptures, God and His Word will show you and help you know what to believe about this. I don't know where to turn this moment. Well, you need to know what the Bible says because the Bible is a good source of what to believe. Doctrine. It's reliable for doctrine, profitable for doctrine, for reproof. You see this next phrase, reproof, what to believe, what is wrong. Occasionally I go through these because I'm so thankful for God's word. The Bible is profit. It's, it profits us. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Reproof tells you what's wrong. I don't know about you, but when I'm wrong, I want to know about it. If you think, man, I think the preacher's wrong about that. If you have that thought and you love me, you ought to tell me. I'm going to tell you something. It may blow your mind. But you come to me and tell me, I think you're wrong about that. You do it in the right spirit. I'm going to be really thankful that you told me, even if I disagree. I like that. I love it when somebody challenges me. You know why? Because I don't mind if somebody tells me I'm wrong. What I hate is actually being wrong. And if there's somebody can help me get right, I want it. And the Bible says, of itself, the Holy Scriptures will show you what's wrong. It'll reprove you. How many of you are like me? I love it when the Bible or the preacher reproves me and tells me, says, hey, look, you're wrong about that. There's something in my heart that goes, hallelujah, that hurts so good. I'm thankful. And the Bible is profitable for reproof. It'll tell you what's wrong. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible's profitable for reproof, for correction. You see it there in verse 16? For reproof, for correction. It tells you what's wrong, but it also tells you what's right. The Bible's profitable for reproof. What's wrong It's profitable for correction. It'll tell you what's right. I'm thankful that God just doesn't leave me hanging and say, hey, look, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. God says, hey, look, I'm not going to tell you what's wrong. I'm going to tell you what's right. And if you want a reliable source to find out what's right, you find it in the Word. You see, it's profitable. It profits us. God's word profits us. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. And finally, it says there in verse 16, for instruction in righteousness. 
What does God's word do? God word, God's word instructs us in righteousness. I love this part of God's word. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm actually at a spot in my life. But when I think about it, I've always been here. I'm at a place in my life where I've lived a certain amount of time, but I'm looking at things that are ahead. There are a lot of variables in my world ahead. How many of you would say there are lots of variables ahead of me that uh, I'm not real sure about? I mean, what do we do next? What's the next step? Should we do this? Should we not do that? Should we, what should I, uh, uh, and you look at life ahead and you're like, Sometimes, if you're not careful, you'll go, ah, how am I going to deal with that? This may be a silly illustration, but I was thinking about it. I remember going to be the pastor at Bowling Springs Baptist. What a great time God gave us there for 10 years. And when I got there, I was 27 years old. And within just a few weeks, I met Roy and Carolyn Rector. These were awesome people. Roy and Carolyn Rector, they were actually the preacher and the preacher's wife that had pastored the church and really built the church up to what it was. They were wonderful, godly people. For some time, because of church trouble, they had not been able to attend Bowling Springs, and I was excited to be able to welcome them back. And they came back, and they were in church with us, and it was so sweet, and it was so wonderful. They were so well-respected and loved in the church. And I started thinking, as just a young guy, Man, I dread something ever happening to one of those two. Because I thought, I don't know how in the world I'll be able to deal with and handle their funeral. I can't imagine having to deal with and handle that funeral. And it's kind of weird that I started worrying and thinking about that. And I just had to put it in the back of my mind, and I had to just rest the fact that God will help me. You know what happened when the Lord chose, saw fit to called Brother Roy home to be with him. You know what God did? God gave me everything I needed along the way in order to help their family, to preach that funeral, to encourage his wife and widow. And when Miss Carolyn died, God gave me everything I needed and the ability to do what needed to be done. I'm sure I didn't do perfect, but God helped me. And I've thought about life, and those were two small examples, but all of life, you know, as we're standing here, we're thinking about all the things that are ahead. If you're not careful, you'll worry about every little detail that might happen along the way. But God says you don't have to. God says if you'll let the Holy Scriptures do their work in your life, the Holy Scriptures, God's Word, and God's presence is profitable for instruction in righteousness. What's that mean? That just means God is going to give me the instruction I need every day. You don't need to get up in the morning and say, Hey, Lord, here I am. Give me some instruction. I'll do what you want me to. And you know what God does? He enables us all along life's trail and journey. Because God's word is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Folks, you don't have to fret and fear over what the future might hold if you're interested and willing to surrender your will to God and his word. Because God's word is alive and well and the Holy Scriptures will help you to make it through life. They're profitable for doctrine, for approval, for correction. For instruction in righteousness. The Holy Scriptures make us. Number two, the Holy Scriptures profit us. 
Number three, the Holy Scriptures perfect us. You see this? The Bible says in verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, now, here's what the Bible says that the Bible will do. If you'll let the Holy Scriptures work in your life, the Bible says that the Holy Scriptures will make you perfect. How many of you ever met somebody that thought they were perfect? <laughs> That's not the person or the word perfect that we're dealing with here. The word perfect, as you see it used in the Bible, is not perfection without any error. The word perfect is complete. Complete. How many of you ever completed a project like, oh, perfect? But, I mean, if you looked really close, you could find imperfections, but it's complete, it's done, it's, it's total. It, the Bible actually uh, gives us some more understanding of the word perfect in the next phrase, that the man of God may be perfect, complete. Then it says, truly furnished, and all good works. You know what God says he'll do? If you'll lean on me and my word, if you'll trust in me and you'll trust my word and you'll give your heart and you'll give your life to understanding God's word, he says, I'll make you perfect, truly furnished. How many of you understand what it means to have a kitchen that is truly furnished? A truly furnished kitchen, you know, it's going to have a stove and a microwave and it's going to have a refrigerator and ours would require a dishwasher and, uh, uh, you know, a truly furnished kitchen. It's going to have spatulas and it's going to have yeah, truly furnished. A truly furnished home as far as your heat goes. We're thinking about heat because it's supposed to get cold. My home is truly furnished. I've got a heat pump. It's an amazing thing that something can blow cold air and warm up your house. But you still feel cold. How many of you understand that? Heat pumps, shoo. I've got a heat pump. I'm thankful for my heat pump. Don't get me wrong. i got a heat pump. And until it gets so cold, the heat pump will keep my house warm, and I'm thankful for that. Then if it gets real cold, my house is truly furnished. If it gets really, really cold, I've got something inside of my heat pump called emergency heat. If it gets so cold, the thermostat will say emergency heat, and that thing kicks on. And let me tell you something. Anytime you look at your thermostat, it says emergency heat. That is reason to mourn and fret. I'm just kidding. But I will say, say this. If it says emergency heat for very long at all, your power bill is going to be like $10,000 next month. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's going to be like, it's like the precursor to the tribulation when you get your power bill after you've seen emergency heat. But listen, my house is thoroughly furnished, and if it gets really cold, emergency heat will kick on, and I'll have heat. What if the power goes out? My house is thoroughly furnished. I'm thankful for this. I praise the Lord for it. I got a wood stove. And I'm scared of the power bill, so I keep throwing wood in that stove all winter long. But I've got a wood stove. If the power goes out, guess what? I'm thoroughly furnished. I've got what I need in order to have what I need. Now, God says in regards to your life, in a more deep way than you could ever imagine furnishing a home or heating a place. God says, now look, life is tough. Remember, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Life is rough and difficult, and there's so many things that are bigger than us that are ahead of us. But God says, listen, the Holy Scriptures... <laughs> 
will perfect you. The Holy Scriptures will give you what you need in order to live and lead a life that has joy and peace and satisfaction. Where do we get it? The Holy Scriptures. Why such a big fuss at a place like this? We put a lot of effort into having church on Sunday morning at 845 and Sunday school. And church at 11. And church tonight at 6. And Wednesday night. And teens and children and Bible school and Bible camps and blah and all, you know, the list goes on and on. Why such an emphasis? Oh, oh, I know, I know. The pastor loves to hear himself talk. I don't. Why such an emphasis? Why do we, every time we come together, do we open the word? Why do we make such an emphasis on teaching and preaching the Bible? And the Bible said of the preacher, the preacher is to preach the word. As far as I can tell, what that means is my job is to take the Bible and say, here's what it says. Here's how we can apply it to our lives. Preach the word. And I'm going to systematically, as long as the Lord gives me breath, I'm going to systematically preach and teach God's word. Why do we put such effort into it? What's the big fuss? I'll tell you what the big fuss is. It is the Holy Scriptures that is going to enable all of us to make it through life and ultimately into eternity. The Holy Scriptures are of utmost importance. And the Bible says of the church, we're the church, a group of saved people. The Bible says of the church, it's the church's job to be the pillar and ground of the truth. You ever thought about that? We're to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. If you've got any idea about building, you can understand this. The ground is the footer and the foundation. The pillar are the beams or the jacks or the beams that hold up the roof. And the Bible says that the church is the pillar. You can see the pillars here. And the ground. And it's holding up something. What is the church holding up? The church is the pillar and the ground holding up. What? The truth. Our job is to keep preaching the word. Why? We keep preaching the word because it is the Holy Scriptures that make us wise in the salvation, that profit us, and that perfect us. God's people need God's word. Actually, all people need God's word. We need to thank God for the Holy Scriptures. And if you'll let God's word work in your heart and life, you're going to find out that, in fact, it does work. It's faithful. We need God's word for life. And with God's help, I'm going to help you with it. And you need to seek it for yourself. And God wants to teach you and bless you with his word, the Holy Scriptures. Let's pray.